What's up, everybody? This is your girl, author Monique Duel, and welcome to a very special episode of Having a Moment with Moni. This episode is so special because I am live on Rebel Radio. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I have been given the opportunity to bless the airwaves, and so I am so excited. Thank you to everyone who's made this possible. Shout out to Ty and to Miss Gina for allowing me this space and opportunity to breathe life into you guys who are under the sound of my voice. My name is Monique Duell. I am an author of a few books. How do I handle a special needs child? Handicapped mom lessons I learned through cerebral palsy, Jeremiah the Jackrabbit, as well as the co-author of Fifty Shades of Pink, A Healing Journey to Self-Love and the Power of Devotional 2 for Women. I am a podcaster, of course, because you're listening to me live right now. Um, and I do a lot of different things. Um, I like to cook. I like to sing. Um all of those things. I am a people person. I love people. I love children. I am a special needs mom and caregiver. My son, Jeremiah, is 21. I have a 24-year-old son, Ronald III, and I am a caregiver to my adult brother, BJ, who has autism. And so, y'all, my plate is always full, right? And so, I had to take all of this energy and all of these things that I have endured and learned and conquered and pour back out into the people who need it most, which is you guys. And so if you're listening to me and you have been following me, whether you've just tuned in or you've been following me for a while, thank you from the bottom of my heart. You could have listened to anybody else. You could have, you know, um, followed or supported anybody else to all of my supporters and followers. Thank you from the bottom of my heart to the people who pray for me on a regular thank you for those who have um, provided for us um, during this time of, uh, you know, COVID and all those kinds of things who have been a blessing to us and pray for Jeremiah and all that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So um, I really did not have anything planned to talk to you about today because I had a guest and because of some ridiculous amount of technical difficulties at every turn, I was not able to um, bring him on. But I promise you that he will be on because we have something very deep to talk to you guys about. And so um, I just wanted to basically introduce myself to you guys and tell you a little bit about my story. Um, I am the oldest daughter, the oldest child, the oldest granddaughter, the oldest niece, all of those things. I got the first on lock. Um, and so uh, I, um, ever since I was a little girl, I wanted to write, I wanted to sing, I wanted to be on TV, I wanted to be on radio, all of these kinds of things, because I was so creative at so many things. And um I'm pretty sure that during those stages, I kept my grandmothers and my mother busy because I was always into something. Um, I wanted to share with you guys exactly how I got here and so that it would be an encouragement to someone else um, before the podcast um, and before all of the other things happened. Um, I was invited to a radio show. I was invited to a blog talk radio show by a gentleman who wanted me to come and speak about how do I handle a special needs child. So we got, you know, got everything set up and it came time to um, 
finalize everything and talk about the specifics and the particulars. And he started to ask me personal questions, which made me feel very uncomfortable. And before I knew it, he was breathing heavily on the other line. And he's like, oh, your voice is so soothing. You sound so sexy. You're so beautiful. I've seen your picture on social media. My space was out back then, you guys. That's how long ago this was. And he proceeded to breathe heavily and attempt to masturbate while I was on the phone. And so this is where um, How Do I Handle a Special Needs Child was born. Um, it came as a result of him. And so I've said this on another broadcast, but because I'm on the radio, I'm repeating it for you guys. I have him to thank for that. Um, the material that I have written, I have written some very nice material and the Lord wouldn't allow me to stop writing. So I just kept writing and bada bing, bada bang. My first book was birth. Now, mind you, y'all, I didn't know how to publish a book or anything like that. I just tried my hand at it because, you know, I just thought I knew what I was doing. Y'all forgive me for my first book, because while it is talking about some great stuff, the grammatical errors are just crazy because I discovered the ampersand and everywhere the and is supposed to be. That's where the ampersand is. Y'all don't talk about me. And go, well, good Lord, what? I was young back then. I didn't know any better. It was my first time out. I didn't have the money or the connections to help me get my book out. I just knew that I had to get this message out after that traumatic experience. And let me stick a pen right there and say this. If whether you have been touched or not, when somebody accosts you sexually against your will, it is traumatizing. You are um, violated. I don't care what anybody says you have been violated. So I had to take a break from that because I felt violated. It, it was no different than if he had ripped my clothes off and, you know, physically had um, relations with me. But suffice it to say, I got through that. And um, my very first um, after I published the very first book, uh I was, you know, happy. I was happy and high on life and celebrating. And then I got a call from a family member who basically cursed me out because they had released a book as well and felt like I was competing with them. Now, mind you guys, my book and my family member's book was like night and day. They were talking about something else, uh, more intellectual, things like that. I had no idea that my family member was um, writing a book or even publishing one for that matter. And so... um that was disheartening because I would have thought out of all people, this person who I had been close to for pretty much my entire life would be proud of me and happy and celebratory, but that did not happen. So anyway, um, right after that book was published and things like that, I started to connect with, um, you know, special needs agencies and just people and individuals at doctor's offices and church everywhere I went who had um, family members with special needs. And at first I was excited about it because, you know, I was like, oh, people are going to know, you know, who I am and going to know about my books and things like that. But after a while, it became draining because when you love somebody, you know, when you love what you do and you love serving people and you want to see people doing as well or better than you. It, it became sad for me to see all of these parents and caregivers who did not know how to feel emotionally and spiritually about their special needs loved one to see the depression, the exhaustion, you know, just just nothing, you know, just drained. And I was like, God, how can I minister to them? And so I decided to tell my life story. Um, 
Handicap Mom Lessons I Learned Through Cerebral Palsy talks about just that. It talks about the life story and it starts from the point of um, me finding out that I was pregnant with Jeremiah before his cerebral palsy diagnosis. Um, I had already had a toddler, which was my oldest, and um, which we planned for him. We did not, you know, deliberately plan for Jeremiah. I did not realize I was pregnant with Jeremiah until after I was already in hair school. And I was six months in, I think I believe it was. And one of the students asked me if I had um, a feminine product. And it took me uh, for, for her for her to ask me that to realize that, that I had not had my cycle. And so, you know, called my husband, my then husband, rushed home, got a pregnancy test, went to his best friend's house, took the test. And before I could sit the thing down, it was positive. So we did another one and another one. Suffice it to say, we went to the free clinic and it was confirmed Jeremiah was in the house. And so, um, you know, fast forward a little bit during my pregnancy, my mom had had um, a medical emergency. She had had a stroke um, and had to be hospitalized. And so I here I am a newlywed, mind you, with a toddler and now I'm pregnant with a baby. I didn't know that he was a boy then. Um, and I was, and I was running two households. I was running my mom's household with my siblings and then going home, trying to be a mother to Ronald and be a wife to my husband. And, um, it came to the point where she had to stay in the hospital. And so I ended up having to stay with her because I could not bring my siblings where I was because there was no space. I remember vividly going to sleep and waking up thinking that, Hmm, Maybe I didn't make it to the bathroom in time and things like that. To my shock and surprise, I was bleeding. And so I'm frantic at this point because I'm the one taking care of my siblings. My mother's already in the hospital. So who is going to care for my siblings while, you know, I go get checked out? But I had to because it was a medical emergency. And so I was rushed there and they told me I was suffering from some sort of disorder that, um, people who do drugs and smoke suffer from but I don't do either and so um, I was placed on strict bed rest and that was the beginning of everything uh, wherever I, I was I had to be at I couldn't go up and down stairs all day I couldn't bend and lift and all those kinds of things I had to be very careful because I was still within my first trimester and um, it was interesting the pregnancy was interesting having to bleed all day every day for seven months plus six weeks after um during that time um my my uh, maternal grandmother passed away suddenly uh from a brain aneurysm uh and that was devastating because we were planning my baby shower at the time and that at that particular day that I talked to her we were planning the baby shower and talking about colors and you know, decorations and food. And the next thing you know, later that day, I get a call saying that she's in the hospital and they don't expect her to make it. I'm like, now what happened between the time frame I got off the phone with her, went to a movie and did all of these things, you know, to try to keep myself busy uh, because being on bed rest, you get restless. I was restless and things like that. 
um, I could do activities as long as I did not overdo it. And so I had a pager back then. Y'all remember those pages with the screen on it? People would call 911, but they ain't really mean it. I used to ignore those and I did ignore it. Um, I got into 911, 911, and I said, hey, they always do that and don't want nothing. But I decided to call from the movie theater and that's when I got that news and I rushed over to be with them and things like that. And, um, it wasn't good, y'all. It wasn't. My grandmother was hooked up to all of these machines. She, The ventilator was breathing for her. She was gone. Um, and it was just a matter of time. And so, you know, through all of that and having to be told in a nice conference room that, you know, your loved one is gone and there's nothing else that they can do. It was it was it was something that I'll never forget. Uh, that's traumatizing as well. Somebody that you love and hold so dear is now lifeless and it's nothing you could do about it. Yes, I did pray. Yes, I did lay hands on her. I prayed all the prayers that I knew to pray and, and had all the faith that I knew to have as a new Christian and all of that. But that was not God's will. And so um, it, it was it was a tough time for me and um, it just went kind of I won't say downhill, but yeah, it kind of went downhill after that. Um, uh, I was given steroids and all kinds of things and all of that stuff to keep Jeremiah's lungs strong and things like that because I kept having preterm contractions and eventually um, it became too much. And of course, um, I went into preterm labor and um that was traumatic. I could not hold my baby. I could I could barely touch him. I did not hold Jeremiah until maybe three months later or something like that um, because he was so small. I was 27 weeks, which is just shy of seven months. He was two pounds or 10 ounces. He was hooked up to every machine you could think of. If his eyebrow fell off, the machine was going to go off. And so that's that was the scenario. Imagine getting on the elevator and not being able to hold your child. Imagine getting on the elevator to go home and everybody's in the elevator with their babies and balloons and you are not. Traumatic. Um, and that sent me into, you know, a deep depression. Yes, I had a toddler and a husband, but I felt like crap, y'all. I'm not going to lie. I felt like I was a defective mom, like I was not good enough. I did not deserve him. And through the course of time, he got stronger and was able to come home, but not before he had to be resuscitated. And I was there. He was in the, I was in the NICU pumping because I was, you know, pumping breast milk to help him get stronger and stronger and stronger. And I heard the bells and whistles go off and, you know, he was not the only baby in the, in the unit. So I'm over there praying and rocking and pumping going, Lord, you know, and I'm seriously praying. And um, come to find out, they come over there, get me and tell me that it's my son. I drop everything. I spilled the breast milk and whatever else I had went running over there. And I stood in silence and fear as these doctors bagged my baby's face and pumped and pumped and pumped his lifeless body while he was starting to turn blue and purple. Listen, I know y'all have watched enough um medical shows back then er was the show Grey's anatomy and all that wasn't even out yet but this was <laughs> was nothing like that i mean i lost all sense of time space almost body fluids um and i begged god i remember begging god saying lord i cannot bury my son whatever we have to deal with lord let's make a deal i was playing let's make a deal because i had 
this was October. So I had, and that, that same year in 2000, I had just buried, um, buried my grandmother. And so, uh, I think she passed away in August, July or August. And so you can just imagine going from that extreme to now having a child life, you know, your child's life hanging in the balance. And I just remember praying fervently and having all of the NICU parents around me praying. We have become a community. And let me say this, y'all, community is everything. No matter what you're dealing with, if you can join with somebody who knows what you're going through or has been delivered from what you're going through and don't mind sharing and telling the story, you are in good hands like Allstate. Let me tell you. Um, the women prayed and we held, you know, they held me up and prayed and we prayed and just when the thing um, on the screen was flat and it was a flat line. Y'all know what flat line means. That means you're dead. And the be, the uh, machine was loud because they had the volume turned up because of all of the stuff he was hooked to. They was looking at me. I'm looking at them. They're looking at me. And they're saying, okay, we got to call it. I said, call what? Jesus. They were getting ready to unhook him and turn the machine off as they were turning the volume down on the machine. I love this testimony. I tell it all the time because this is the power of God and the power of prayer and saving faith. They were getting ready to turn the machine off and the and his heart began to beat again. The flat line went from flat line to beep, beep. Beep, baby, you could have bought me for free that day. I mean, I nearly fainted because my adrenaline was pumping. I was praying and crying. I'm trying to call my then husband on the phone and, and, and you know, my family members and tell them to get here because of what was going on. I couldn't talk. They couldn't understand me. I couldn't get it together. I was so grateful um, after that because... That just lets me know that y'all in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we could be gone just like that, just like that. And he opens his eyes and even with the tube in, because he had the feeding tube taped to his mouth and all this kind of stuff and stuff on his face. He looked at me and he was smiling like peekaboo. I see you. Oh, I wanted to strangle my baby, but I was so grateful y'all that he was alive that I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, and so it was an uphill battle from that point on. He had to have medicines and uh, therapies. And even though we didn't have that, we did not have the diagnosis then because he was born with uh, IVH grade one bleed on the brain. They were, you know, doing tests and things like that. So when it was time for his first checkup after he had gotten home, we had to rearrange all the medicines because I'm like, listen, I'm not a nurse. I don't stay up 24 seven. We had to schedule the medicine so that me and my husband could sleep. And so we finally figured that out. We, you know, we ended up getting a home health nurse who is still my friend to this day. Um, <laughs> we have been friends since Jeremiah was an infant. He's 21. And so um, she was a godsend. She helped me get through some of the roughest times adjusting to him and his needs and stuff and and managing all of those things because I was going through depression plus postpartum depression so I was in the red um I was excited and happy but I was stressed and terrified at the same time I had a whole lot going on um we took him to his first visit and the doctor was doing the test and things trying to get you know Jeremiah to grab his hands reach for toys Jeremiah just looked like what <laughs> he just looked at him like he was crazy. And um, so he did not uh, perform. 
And so the doctor did all of that, came back and said, well, Mr. and Mrs. Duell, your son has cerebral palsy and gave us a pamphlet and walked out the room. And I'm like, what does that mean? I mean, you're not going to, uh, you know, you're not going to allow us to ask no questions. You're just going to leave us hanging, huh? And back then, AOL had just come out. So I got home, got busy looking up every piece of information I could find from therapies to, to, to medicines to procedures, whatever it was my baby needed. Fast forward, um, he, he began having seizures at about three months. Um, partial seizures that I did not recognize. Ronald recognized and said, Mommy, look, he's doing the thing with his face again. And I said, What? He's laughing. He said, No, Mommy, that ain't it. Just wait, wait. And he said, See, look, 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 look. And he was twitching. And I said, Oh my God, I got to find out what this is. And so, you know, he was on seizure meds for a while. Um, and it got to a point where I said, No, 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 no. We, 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 we got to do something, Lord, because this is not the life that I thought that I was going to have when I had children. And I don't think I, I'm in it for the long haul with all of these things. I can't possibly spend all of my time and all of my attention with him when I have another child that I have to um, pour into. And so, um, like I said, I was a new Christian, but I knew the power of prayer. I knew the power of faith. I seen it happen. I seen miracles happen. And things like that, I've also seen people who were demon-possessed be delivered. It is real. I don't know why people think it's a game, but it's not. Needless to say, I took him to our healing service that we had back then, and they laid hands on Jeremiah and prayed. And I said, Lord, if you, I will deal with the CP if I have to, if it's not your will that he be healed. But can you do something with these seizures? And before I knew it, he was off of the seizure medicine. He has not had a seizure since. And I thank God for that. Um, I will say that it is difficult to um, maintain a healthy marriage when you are, first of all, unequally yoked, which I did not understand that concept until I got married. Um, I was a believer. My husband was not. Um, he grew up Catholic, so I don't even know if he was a believer in that. I think he was just in it because that's what his parents raised him in. And so he really did not know what to believe. Um, and so those factors coupled with having two toddlers, one with a disability, coupled with financial problems because we were not living on our own then. We were living with his mom coupled with uh, not having jobs, I was not able to work because I had to be at home with him all day. And then his father, you know, the, my husband, their father was not working uh, for whatever reason um, or was having trouble keeping uh, maintaining a job. It was just a recipe for a disaster. So through the course of time, it just it just began to deteriorate. The marriage began to deteriorate. Things got worse and worse and worse. Um, there was um emotional abuse involved verbal abuse involved physical abuse involved and some other things that is in the book you guys that you um gonna have to purchase to read because i'm not gonna tell you for free now um handicapped mom lessons i learned through cerebral palsy and um i had to get out of there uh when you grow up in an environment all your life uh that that was not good and healthy and you see it exhibited in front of you no matter where it's coming from it is up to you to have enough strength 
to 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 say to yourself that you are better than that that you deserve better than that that your life is better than that and that is what I had to do um my mom was God rest her soul she was lively loud the life of the party and all of those things but her self-esteem was shot to hell every man that she was with was abusive to her in some way shape form or fashion and I had to witness it sometimes break it up she was on drugs as well I can't imagine at her age having an autistic son that nobody knew necessarily what autism was they called your child retarded and they would make fun of him rocking and shaking his hands which we know is stemming and all of those things I can't imagine as beautiful as she was she was a beautiful red bone and, and you know nice shape and all that kind of stuff had it going on good government job as they say government not government government job and you have this child that everybody points and stares at and points and stares at you I didn't understand it then I didn't understand how is it that she couldn't let the drugs go and let the alcohol go and let the Negroes go and all those kinds of things but now that I am a special needs parent I understand having to find you know having the desire to want to have a better life for your children but escape from your reality because you really don't know what to do um there was no organizations back then for autism there there was no organizations back then for any of that and so she just went off of pain and experience <sighs> pain and experience and I can't you know, I, I just now that I'm older, you know, I wish I had had a better understanding of that because our relationship was horrible until the end. Just before she passed away, it was horrible. It was not nearly where it should have been because there was a breach between us because of the abuse and things like that. And the things that I had witnessed and endured throughout my lifetime and childhood, I have overcome some some very um life-changing things and it's only by the grace of God that I'm sitting here talking to you guys uh, I I know what it's like outside of you know the 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 masturbation um, issue with the guy on the radio show I know what it's like to be sexually assaulted to be fondled um, to be the kissing cousin and all of those kinds of things all of those unhealthy things to have your uncle winking at you and and staring at you and trying to rub your hair and all those kinds of things I went through all of that for those of you guys who are out there don't be afraid to speak out please don't be afraid to speak out and get help I'm serious I've been there I know the fear of thinking that nobody's going to believe you and and nobody's going to want you if you were sexually violated and all of those things. Please get help. There is help through the counselors and therapists that God has placed in the earth to help you. There's healing through the power of God, the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. There's healing in community. And so I know it's hard and I know it's scary, but it's necessary for your mental state is necessary for your spiritual state is necessary because if you have children or if you're a wife or you're in ministry whatever it is you do whatever profession you are in God has allowed you to be there for a reason and we need you and we love you and we appreciate your strength for coming forth and and, and guess what you are not alone I know you guys hear this a lot but you're not I am in the me too category 
with a lot of things. And so um, having to do deal with all of that, I was not going to allow that in a marriage. I was not going to allow myself to be yanked to be slapped or choked or talked to any kind of way or none of that because I did not want my sons to grow up to think that that was what they were supposed to do to a woman or accept from a woman so I left and so um because we did and we did not have nothing we were in a shelter for a while we were in a domestic violence shelter and back then because we lived in Maryland, there was only one that would give you your own place. The rest, you had to stand outside like you might do in some of these other areas and fight for a bed and fight for a spot and then have to get out the next morning. This one, you had to get out within three months. And so we were there and we were treated like those who were in the program for drugs and alcohol. We had a curfew. I'm a grown woman with children and I had a curfew. I had to be in by 10 o'clock on the weekdays and midnight on the weekends. Come on, y'all. Can, can we be honest? I mean, you know, imagine you trying to rush home because you're like, they're going to do house checks or apartment checks. Now, I was in a full-fledged apartment. I was living in Spring Hill Lake in Greenbelt, Maryland. For those of y'all, all my Marylanders, um, back then they had the little program where we had our own apartments and things. We had to go to meetings you know, that was similar to AA meetings. We would have food pickup um, from the food distribution thing that they had, the, the food share program and all of that sort of stuff. Been there, done that. And I had to, there was one incident where I had to put something in front of my door because the person who was coming to do house checks was doing more of the house checks. They were coming, looking through my things and rummaging through my things and didn't know that I knew that. Uh, because I set things in certain places deliberately when I was running late, you know, for curfew. And I had to let them know why I was running late. We had to have a reason or a doctor's note or something or we would get kicked out of the program. It was very strict. It was very stressful. Then I had to get a letter because Jeremiah had a disability and he could not go to the daycare that they had for the kids for the meeting. Ronald could go, but Jeremiah couldn't. So I was excused from the meetings. Um, we had to, um, well, they had to do urine tests, but we didn't, but we had house checks. And so uh, there was a couple of instances where I almost got caught. Y'all, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell the truth. I had, I had a man and, um, one particular night we we you know we went out to eat had a couple of drinks went to bed and and forgot all about it and i heard the lock turn on the door and i had to move you know like move stuff out the way to make it look like nobody was there and cover things up he was <laughs> he was hiding in the closet underneath uh, a bunch of comforters and blankets that i had they don't do all of that he just the man came and looked in the bedrooms moved the shower curtain turned on the lights in the bedroom looked under the beds and left thank god um and so we have had some interesting you know things <laughs> Uh, to happen in the course of um, getting here to the point where you guys hear me now. Um, I We did, you know, end up eventually getting our own place. Uh, the day we were supposed to get kicked out of the apartment, we had a meeting with the Section 8 office and we were immediately approved for um, a voucher uh, for Jeremiah. And so the rest is history. We got back on our feet. Um, I was home for 17 of of the 21 years because I couldn't work I had daycare vouchers they said well Miss Duel, if 
we take him we don't know how to charge you because he is he is too but he's not too cognitively so we can't put him in the classrooms with the two-year-olds or with the two-year-old kids and so you're either going to overpay or underpay and so you can bring him to the daycares but what's going to happen is you're going to have to pay somebody out of pocket who is a professional to be able to care for him now I am working at this point I was uh, hired at OPM how am I supposed to work at um for the government at eight dollars an hour? I think it was seven or eight dollars for the welfare to work program. I don't know what it was, but it was very low. I could not afford to pay an outside entity to watch him. And um so that was very disheartening. I don't know I wasn't working for OPM yet, but I did work for OPM briefly. Um I was hired. Uh, I took the postal test because I said, OK, well, let me try to work for the post office because they pay good money. I could be a postal courier and all that. My grandmother said, now, baby, how you going to work the postal service? Because you got to go out there, rain, snow, hail or blow. You got to work long hours and you still got to come home and give Jeremiah and Ronald what they need. Now, you think you're going to be able to do that? I know the money looks good and you want to buy a car. and You got dreams and goals, but your child comes first. It's not practical. And I was so angry with my grandmother. I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? I got to work. I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be on the system. I don't want to keep collecting food stamps and a check and all of that. I never wanted to stay home. Never. I even considered giving Jeremiah up for adoption or something so that I could go to work and have a life and take care of Ronald. I'm like, well, maybe if I let him go temporarily until I get back on my feet, we'll make it. And my grandmother, you know, you have y'all had a praying grandmother? I had one. She said, no, no, baby, you go and seek God. God will show you what to do. He'll put everything in place. This is not about you anymore. She used to tell me, once you have a child, it's not about you and your wants and your needs anymore, per se. Your child's needs come first, especially in this situation. I was upset with her, y'all. I ain't want to hear it, but she told the gospel truth because ever since we had had that conversation, everything that I had tried to do that was outside of the will of God did not work. I tried to go to work at the post office and I was like, by the time I calculated my finances, I said, okay, by the time my rent goes up because section eight going to hit me in the head. And then if I buy a car to get back and forth to work, that's taking another 20%. And by the time I buy food and clothes, she said, remember, you got to pay daycare uh, for Jeremiah because, you know, they, they want you to pay somebody to come in and you got to pay the daycare. It wasn't even worth it. So, um, yeah, <laughs> That's that. And so, um, you know, fast forward a little bit more. We, you know, we made it through that. I decided to stay home back then. Um, both of my children were receiving disability um, for their disabilities. And back then you could live off of what, five hundred and fifty dollars a month, you know, per you know, back then it was five fifty per per person or something but if you worked they would take their money back to supplement you know what you were making the government let me say this the government is helpful but it ain't helpful if you try to better yourself and things like that they will cut you off faster than AT&T will if you don't pay your cell phone bill when you make payment arrangements I mean it was horrible it's like you go you know, you meet all the eligibility requirements in one area and then in the other area you don't because you get increases and raises with SSI, which knocks you out of a lot of programs. And so before I knew it, I didn't qualify for energy assistance anymore and all of those kinds of things because um, 
the SSI was increased. And I'm like, but that's not an income. And so you have one agency over here saying, well, we don't count SSI. That's not an income. And then you have another agency over here that says that it is. And so you go through this tug of war, tug of war, in addition to going to therapies and meetings and hospitals and procedures, it doesn't make for a good look, y'all. I was like, God, what am I going to do? You know, the the depression, you know, I don't think it really ever left me during that time. I just learned how to put on a brave face and manage it because there was nothing I could do about what was happening. I um, got to the point, like I said, I, my marriage had dissolved and I went through the divorce and got the divorce and things like that. I was a single mom now. Everything fell on me. You know, the person who once said, you know, I do or whatever, decided that once we got a divorce, he divorced his sons as well. And I was on my own and I still am to this day and they're grown. And so I don't have to I don't have to go into details to tell you how much hell I went through taking care of Jeremiah, you know, uh, without without help from their father. Jeremiah is um, he has what you call spastic diplegia which means that it affects his motor functions and things like that. He can't go to the bathroom on his own. He can't walk. He can't dress himself. He can't brush his teeth. He can't brush his hair. He can't do any of that. Only thing he could do is sit there and eat if you feed him something. And I'm just saying this like this, not that he can't do anything else, but you know what I'm saying. He does not have the capacity to do that. He can't take care of his own finances. He can't make medical decisions for himself. He can't do any of those things. And so um, it was it was quite it's been quite an interesting roller coaster. Um, I went for years trying to find significance as a woman. I didn't want to just be known as the mother with the kid with cerebral palsy. I did not want to just just be known as a handicapped mom. Um, I wanted people to see me as more than that. You know, even in when it relates to dating, I wanted men to see that I actually had a brain. You know, I, I wasn't just somebody who was sitting at home collecting a check waiting for a handout. That that was not what I was doing. I was using everything I could to be creative and um, figure out how could I take care of my boys and give them the best life. And so I said all that to say that even when you're facing the most insane circumstances in your life, God will pl- will bring people in your life to be a blessing to you. I thank God for my village. My village has been the same village since Jeremiah was one day old. I thank God for his aunts and his cousins and, and his grandparents and my best friends who have been here since day one and stuff like that over 25 years. I I appreciate every last person Um, from the caregivers and the doctors and the nurses, the suppliers who supply his supplies. I am grateful because despite all of that, this is what has gotten me here to talk to you. And so um, school years with my kids was anything but ordinary. Jeremiah had to go to school and because he was born so early, we had to keep him home because there was a virus that they could catch that's sort of like COVID that's called RSV. And RSV was worse than pneumonia. If they caught it, they had a 50-50 shot of surviving. So we had to limit who could visit him, who could touch him, who could, you know, all of those things. We we had to we had to tough it out. 
And so Jeremiah was only used to seeing two or three people. Anybody else who came in our space, he would scream to the point where he would make himself throw up. He didn't like anybody. He didn't want nobody near him. He didn't want nobody near me or his brother. He wasn't having it. And so when it was time for him to go to school, woo, baby, the first day of school, the bus came. I mean, he likes to go for rides. He loved going for rides. But when the bus came and he realized they was coming to take him and I wasn't going, I used to feed, I used to have to feed Jeremiah earlier in the evening. So that way, when he got up for school, the chances of him throwing up anything when he did try to gag will be slim and none because at 7 a.m. on the dot, every school morning, he would cry to the point of vomiting because he didn't want to get on the bus. And my next door neighbor, Beverly, I love her to life. She was like, Mo, you got to let him do it because what if you're not here? You can't just keep spoiling him and keep doing everything for him. You have to let him experience life. You have to let him experience somebody else handling him, doing things for him and all of that. And I appreciate her for that because had she not told me that, I'd still be hand feeding Jeremiah today. I'd still be trying to, you know, do a lot of the things that I did not have to do because he was capable of doing it himself. I mean, I have learned you guys through a lot of trials, <laughs> a lot of error, a lot of prayer, a lot of fasting, a lot of tears, how to persevere in adverse circumstances. Um, Ronald was suffering from ADHD and um, I think a lot of his anger and things like that was because we, his father and I had divorced and he was acting out in school and things like that. And so we tried behavior management and then we tried medication. He was on Ritalin or something else and the other ones, uh, Adderall, XR, XL, whatever. And he started to lose weight. He lost so much weight, significant weight that they called CPS on me because they thought I was starving him. It wasn't feeding him until they came to my house and saw that I had a house full of food and he was eating. Um, his teachers loved him to death. They would take him to, you know, they would take him uh, to get food and things like that to try to keep him eating and stuff because they knew what I was trying to do. So I had favor. God favored me in every um, area when it came to taking care of them. I did not have to worry about, a lot of the things that parents with special needs kids had to worry about because I had such a great support system that helped me with birthdays and Christmases and all of those kinds of things. And even in that, I still felt inadequate, y'all. I still felt like like crap because I'm like, these are my children. I should be able to provide these things and stuff like that. And I carried that anger for a while. I stuffed that anger, you know, and the guilt and the resentment, I was, you know, angry at myself. I did not back then forgive myself. I did not forgive their father for abandoning, you know, us and things like that. I was a ticking time bomb. And through the course of time and through the course of, you know, going through counseling and seeking healing and things like that, I had to learn a few things. And so going through the process of a divorce is a loss y'all you have to grieve you have to grieve what's no longer happening you have to grieve the absence of something that you expected and and you know accept what you did not expect and so it was terrible for a little bit it was a roller coaster um ronald did not react well to the medicines and he would be up late at night standing over me with eyes black as night like mommy are you sleep 
baby, let me tell y'all something. When he finally did that, I immediately flushed every pill down the toilet and said, nope, we're going to try something else. I did not put my son on another medication. We just did behavior modification and we did something sort of like ABA therapy for autism, but they don't call it that. We figured out what worked for him. He got through school, graduated high school. Thank you, Jesus. But his mouth got him in trouble every single time. And to this day, it still does. He is very smart and very bright. But when he gets angry, whoa, look out. And so we are um, hopeful that... You know, the services that are out here to be able to help him manage those kinds of behaviors and things like that will be beneficial to him because he has to be able to face his issues just like I had to face mine, whether it's his anger against me or his anger against his father or whatever the case may be. So y'all keep him in prayer. Um, Jeremiah made it through school. Um, no real issues. Um uh, he was in a special school for special needs kids. Of course, he could not do the integrated school with the quote unquote normal kids because he did not have the capacity to do the schoolwork. Um, they tried to transfer him out because he was more advanced than the other kids to a different school. And he loved his school so much that when he got to the new school, he didn't do nothing. He just stopped. He stopped responding. He stopped interacting. He did not like the people. He did not like the school. And when I went to the school, I found out why he didn't like it. The school was all the kids who were in the normal classrooms and on the normal part of the wing. They had bulletin boards and colorful pictures and things like that. Um, and then uh, on his side where they were kept at, it was dark and dreary like they were in some sort of insane asylum. And I wasn't going to have that. OK, so um that that was <laughs> I immediately took him out and put him back so um we made it through school he graduated um last week and so now we are on the part where we're going to do adult services and so the conundrum for me is if I want to do self-directed services where I hire the team and micromanage or if I want to do residential where they'll do everything and I don't have to lift anymore and try to pull and tug and you know, wretch my back anymore or, you know, go to any more therapies for my knees and things like that. And so um, and I said this on the other um, shows that I've had, the mommy in me doesn't want to because my son has not been away from me. He's only been with his family outside of maybe being in a hospital. But the human part of me, yes, because I want him to be able to be stabilized somewhere. So in the event of my demise, I don't know how long I'm going to live. He will already be situated. We, my family won't have to go scrambling. Tell me, no, you take him. No, you take him. No, you take him. I've been through that. But my mother passed away. My brother ended up almost being put in, um, you know, put made made a ward of the state because nobody wanted to take care of him with autism. They didn't know what autism was. They didn't want to, you know, educate themselves to find out either. So everybody just spread it like cockroaches when you turn the um, when you turn the light on. When it came time to show and prove, that's why I tell people there's a difference between family and relatives. There's a difference between DNA and and those who show and prove that they love you and they care about you. And so I don't I don't blame them. I'm not angry at them. I'm not bitter because hey, 
I know what it takes to be on this side of the fence. And if I could get out of it <laughs> and I am a mother, I if I could get out of it, I would, too. If I could just go off and forget that, you know, forget my troubles and stuff and all that kind of stuff. Who don't? Who don't want freedom? Let's be honest. I'm I'm going to be the one to tell you the truth. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, my God, I don't want to leave my kid. <laughs> Give me a plane ticket today. And and a caregiver to take care of Jeremiah. I will be on the plane before you can hand me the tickets. Good. Okay. That's life. We are human first. I am a human being first. I love both of my sons dearly and would, you know, do the best that I have. Or should I say I have done the best that I possibly could for them. But there comes a point where you have to realize that what you are doing or what you have done is no longer adequate and so I am at that point where now that my son is older I don't I don't believe that what I am doing is adequate enough for him no more that he needs more specialized individualized service and it hurts me and pains me to say that but I don't have a team I don't have you know a team of of people and all of that kind of stuff to be able to pick up the slack. It's me or nothing at this point. And for all of those who are out there who don't know what it's like to care for a special needs child, you pretty much put yourself on the back burner. You give up your your right to, to freedom and certain happiness, you know, certain things that will bring you happiness. You, you give up on a lot of that stuff. You give up on a lot of self-care, which is dangerous. Don't do that, y'all. I'll talk about that in another episode. Uh, and all of those things. Why? Because you are you are zero focused on your loved one. And that's how I was for years until I suffered caregiver burnout. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And so, um, yeah, this is, you know, so we are now in the future of all of these things. And so I have gone through a lot of um, sleepless nights, a lot of tears a lot of zero bank accounts, a lot of negative bank, overdrawn bank accounts, a lot of, um, you know, failed relationships because, uh, you know, I needed I needed to be healed and I needed to dis- rediscover who I was outside of taking care of Jeremiah Ronald. So we've gone through a, a, a bevy of things. Um, I have gone through a bevy of things and I thank God that I'm still here despite uh, the depression, the suicide attempts the 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 search for significance um getting into things as a way of it trying to you know escape what i was feeling and what i was thinking and what was going on it wasn't good y'all it wasn't good at all but all of those things worked together as i said and brought me here before you guys and so i am honored to be here with you guys and all of that sort of thing um uh, I can honestly say that I don't think I would change a thing because had I changed anything, I might not be here talking to you guys. If I was able to change a thing, you know, people ask if you could change anything, what would it be? I don't think I would. I I don't I don't think I would. I, and I didn't feel like that even a year ago. And so um, when it as it relates to special needs parenting now on the adult side having to find adult providers and you know making these decisions it's tough y'all I have been going back and forth in my head in my head you know in my heart and all of that sort of stuff and I'm and the biggest piece of it is 
I put myself in the mind of Jeremiah and I'm like, I wonder what he thinks about me, you know, or, or what, what does he think about, you know, seeing mommy go back and forth trying to make these decisions and trying to do all of these things. Like what, what, how does he feel? If he could tell me, what would he say? And so, um, this decision, I'm going to be honest, has tormented me for one reason or another, because it's like, what if this is the right decision? But what if, you know, and, and it works out great, but what if it's the wrong decision? Either way, both of our lives are about to change significantly either way, because now that I've done books and I have a podcast show and I have a radio show now, things like that. And I'm, you know, I've been in magazines and all of those kinds of things. And, you know, just all of the things that come along and the doors that opens as a result of you um, being um, in the position that you're in as an author and a writer and things like that. I have to be ready to to um, see the world. I have to be ready when the phone rings and they say, hey, we would like for you to come and speak to our, you know, special needs families and things of that nature. So I, those are the things that I think about, you know, in, in this space. This is these are the things that I think about because I can't. What I used to do was use his cerebral palsy as a safety net because I was afraid to go out there in the world. I was afraid. I was like, don't nobody want to hear what I have to say. There's and nobody's thinking about me and what I got going on and all those kinds of things. They're they're not um, even remotely (laughs) interested in what I have to say. They probably seen it and heard it and all of those sorts of things. Um, And to my surprise, that was not the case. Um, I like I said, I'm very transparent and I'm very raw and real because I want somebody else to be healed. I want somebody else not to have to go through what I went through. I want somebody else to to know that there is help and hope and healing. I want somebody else to know that there's power in prayer and that there's power in community and things of that nature. I want other people to know that they are not alone and that they have somebody who understands, who believes in them and who understands. I want people to know that you can overcome the circumstances and, and, and build your brand and live your dreams and do all of the things that you've always wanted to do. It just takes a little bit more time. It just takes a little bit more adjustment. It takes a little bit more, you know, plugging away at it. It takes a little bit more saying no to things and 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 um, rearranging your life at a at a spur of the moment. Um, but it's definitely been a blessing. My children are blessings. They are blessings from God, and this whole experience has been a blessing to me in more ways than I have time to tell you. And so don't, um, if you find yourself in a downtrodden state, I need you to pull yourself up there. Like I said, I need you to go talk to somebody, go phone a friend, do something because you never know what's buried deep on the inside, past the pain and the disappointment, you know, past the expectations that you had of yourself and your special needs loved one, that you are not defective moms and dads, that you are not a defective object. You know, your kids, you know, and and your loved ones are not monsters and all of those kinds of things. We have been given the opportunity 
as parents and caregivers to show the world what real love looks like, what faith looks like, what perseverance looks like, what joy looks like, what overcoming trials and tribulations look like. And so as you, you know, forge ahead and and go back to that idea that you left in the dust, go back to that 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 dream or that goal you put in your little notebook and stashed it away for a rainy day. Go back to that business plan. Go back to that model of your bit of your building in your school or whatever it is. You know, pick that microphone back up and start talking again. Go back to that conference line and 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 and, and be a support group or or prayer partner whatever it is that God has tasked your hands to do he knew that this was coming he knew so there are no surprises at God God is not caught by surprise he's just not out here all willy-nilly destroying your life and all those things he literally has a purpose and a plan for your life and I need you to catch that I need you to catch that that you are loved and you are important and that you matter. And so um, what can I say? You know, that's I know I said a lot, but um, and there's more. There's so much more to you. There's so much more that meets the eye. There's so much more in inside of your child or your loved one. It's just that we have to find a more creative way to bring it out. Can I say that? Yeah. We have to find a more creative way to bring it out. And so um, don't don't neglect the gifts that you have. Don't doubt the gifts that you have. Don't beat yourself up because of what happened or what didn't happen, what you thought was going to happen. You know, don't stay in that place. The tears will fall. You will always be reminded of an area where you may have flubbed at, but look at where you are now as it, you know, as opposed to where you were back then. All of us has made progress somewhere, whether it's on a small scale or a more grandiose scale. You have everything to be happy about and celebrated about. It doesn't matter if you haven't quite reached your goal yet or reached your milestones. Celebrate. Hallmark used to have a commercial and it said celebrate the moments of your life. If you have to take moment by moment, do that. If you have to take second by second, do that. But celebrate the moments of your life. Don't despise small beginnings. Don't dismiss your idea or your concept. Don't dismiss you know, the fire in you to do a thing. Don't, don't look at it as all, it ain't nothing. This, this, it ain't a big deal. It is. If it's inside of you and you can do it like you're breathing with no real effort and you could do it with your eyes closed, it is a big deal. It's for you to give to us. It's, it's a gift. You are a gift. What you have on the inside is, is a gift. Your special needs loved one is a gift. When I when I started writing, you know, after the first book, I thought I was going to be one and done. Y'all, I didn't plan on writing no more books. I certainly didn't want to do a podcast or any of that stuff because I was drowning. I, I buried myself in cerebral palsy. I pretty much said, oh, well, I guess my life is over. So I'm just going to be a cerebral palsy mom until Jeremiah dies or I die first, whichever happens first. I literally lost myself on purpose. 
because I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know how to get out. Nobody, I had, I had to, I had to be honest and real with where I was before I was rescued. And I didn't get myself out. Let me say that I didn't get myself out of anything. I had to be deliberate about the plans. I had to be deliberate about what I wanted or what I wanted for my sons. I had to be deliberate about the choices that I made and the people I hung around, the people I decided to date. I had to be deliberate about all of those things. Sure, I could have said I'm grown. I could do what I want, but that's not how life happens. And so think about it, guys. Think about the choices that you make and all of those kinds of things because it matters. It matters to you and to your children. And so when you think about those things and you begin to see areas where you've lacked wisdom and you ask God for wisdom, God will give you wisdom. The Bible says that God will give you wisdom liberally if you ask. And so during the course of suffering from caregiver burnout, I had to ask God for wisdom. I would sit in my car, y'all, literally after work when I was working because this happened about like a year two years ago I would sit in my car for hours to just cry out to God because I was done I was running on fumes I I was mechanical I didn't want to cook no dinner I didn't want to to go to church I did not want to be on no prayer lines I didn't want to talk to nobody about special needs nothing I didn't want to even get out of bed and I had to make a conscious decision to go seek therapy, which is what I did. My first visit, I cried so bad and I broke down so bad that the counselor was going to call 911 so that I could be transported to the hospital for suicide observation. That's how afraid that they were. And I begged them not to do that because I knew that if I did that, A, I did not want to be labeled and B, I did not know what would have happened after I got to the hospital. Because during that time, everybody had their own things going on. They were working and things like that. And I didn't know what would have happened to Jeremiah. So I said, no, this is why I'm here to get help. Just tell me how to stop crying all the time tell me how to feel like my life is worth it tell me how to feel like getting out of bed in the morning tell me how to not want to slit my wrist or jump off a bridge or drive my car into the river or whatever just teach me how to to use the mental and the spiritual strategies that i need so that i can be free I didn't want to be medicated. I did not want to be poked and prodded on like a science experiment. I wanted to live and live more abundantly. And it took some time because I had to unpack all of the pain from the abuse, from child abuse, all the pain from the sexual assaults and things like that, all of the pain of the divorce and things like that, all of the pain and expectations that did not happen as I prayed and sought God for healing for Jeremiah and he still cannot walk or take care of himself all of those things that people don't want to tell you understand that when you pray and ask God for a thing he's answering you in righteousness not in the in your desires of your heart if your desires of your heart is in direct conflict with his will for your life you're not going to get it 
you're not going to get it in the way that you imagine it. Healing for me looks like my son being independent and me never having to do anything else for him. He will be able to do it for himself. However, God's idea may not be directly that. And are you prepared to handle whatever does not happen for your special needs loved one? Are you ready for that? Are you ready for the possibility that this is going to be their norm? Are you ready for the fact that you may see changes in small increments or you may see big changes in bigger increments? Are you ready for the fact that you may not see none of that? But here is the thing, and I'm telling you guys from experience, you will change. Your view will change. God will change your heart. He will change your mindset. He will change your perspective on how you see a thing. It's I know that we think that if God just does this and if God just does that, that our lives will be so much easier and it will solve everything. Do you understand that even if he did do all of that, something else is going to be an issue or a problem? Something else is going to throw you off and blindside you and cause you to be depressed. Something else is going to make you upset and angry and disappointed in yourself. Something else is going to occur that's going to cause you to see God in a different way and be like, God, are you there? Hello? Are you there, God? It's me again. So the things that we think that will that will possibly make us complete and makes make us stress-free and drama-free may not even be the case at all i'll give you an example what if let this is hypothetical what if jeremiah got up tomorrow morning and started walking and doing everything and then decided he was going to go drive my car and some idiot who had been drinking or texting and driving runs him off the road and kills him Exactly. You see what I mean? It does not mean that if if God gave me everything I asked for exactly the way I asked for it without telling me the details of what the future holds may not solve my problem and it may not solve yours. I need you guys to understand this. We are asking for things from God based on our now, not our future. If we don't get with God and pray and seek him for our lives, we have no idea what that is. Or what that's going to look like. Or what that's going to feel like. We have no clue. And so we're asking because what we're asking for, I'm, we're asking for relief. We're asking for relief. There was a man in the Bible, and I can't remember his name right now, y'all, because I got so many things running through my mom brain. But he needed mental health services. He needed a menstrual to minister to him. And he asked God to let him die. He asked God to let him die. And the angel of the Lord, he sent, the Lord sent an angel to him to minister to him. And you know what they told him to do? Take an, eat and take a nap. <laughs> the Lord told him to eat and take a nap. God knows what we mean when we ask for help and we say that we're tired and we're exhausted. God knows that we don't want to commit suicide. We just want the pain to end. We want to not be bullied. We want to not be teased. We want to be treated as a decent human being in this world. God is not going to answer you in the all the you know in the direct way that you think. You can pray as specific as you want. But like I said, God is going to answer in righteousness. 
And I know that doesn't make sense because church has taught us. <sighs> Help me, Jesus. Church has taught us to name it and claim it, believe it and receive it. Yes. Yes. But they don't tell you on the back end that God's will must be done. Okay. We can get, <laughs> we could get a new car and all that kind of stuff and a new house. And God can tell us we can have these things because it's based on his will for our lives now, but we don't ask God, okay, if I get this house, is a fire going to destroy it? Is somebody going to break into my house and steal all my stuff? Am I going to suffer a devastating flood and lose the house? We don't ask God these petty details, as I call it. We don't ask him that. We just ask for a husband. We ask for a wife. We ask for children. We, we, we ask for a better paying job. Not knowing that that better paying job is going to cause you to be away from your family. And it's going to cause you to not to be so tired that you may or may not have the strength or the energy to seek God for your life. Or, but but you got more money and you got the better job you asked for. You see what I'm saying? This is what I mean. We have to be more deliberate and, and use wisdom about the things we pray for and the choices that we go through, because we can only see what's in front of us. We we are not we don't have flashlight eyes. We don't have flashlight feet. The Bible says that the word of the Lord is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. That means that you have to be walking. That means you have to be in motion to see that far. I can only look as far as my eyes will allow me. It's only after I take steps towards the direction that I'm moving in that I can see what's next coming. Only we don't have the we don't have eyes in the back of our head. We don't we can't see two miles away or like eagles who fly up in the air and can see their prey almost three miles away. We ain't got those kind of eyes. We don't have that kind of revelation of what's to come in the future unless the Lord reveals it to us. So I said all that to say we have to be honest with where we are within ourselves as we go through this journey. Stop acting like you're okay when you feel like hanging yourself. Stop lying to people saying that everything is fine when you know darn well it ain't. Get some help. Don't it, Getting help and getting therapy is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of, of strength. To be able to ask for help, that's wonderful. We need to change the conversation about what it means to be strong we tell people oh you're so strong listen y'all this is <laughs> i'm giving y'all almost all 40 of my episodes in this one episode in a concretized way being strong does not mean you pretend that you are fine when you are not being strong means that you recognize that there is a problem an issue a breach somewhere in your mental and emotional state or in your physical circumstances or internal and external circumstances that you have discovered that you need help. You have decided that these areas are areas that are outside my um, my scope of reasoning and wherewithal and I need assistance to get my life back on track. I need direction. Nobody drives, I hope you don't, nobody drives with a GPS and then don't turn the GPS on. You got a GPS in the car and just think you're going to wing it when you've never been where you are going. You've never been there. 
Even if you have an idea of where you're going, you turn the GPS on anyway. Guess what? Why? Because sometimes the roads may be closed that you're familiar with. Oh, my God. Somebody need to catch that. The roads are closed that you're familiar with. The landmarks that you used to see when you pass these um areas may not be there anymore there are new things there there are new twists and turns there the streets have been redirected because construction is going on so it is with you there are things you're going to face baby when you have a special needs child that don't look like nothing you're familiar with and some of the stuff that do look familiar is not the same as you remember it it's more to it than meets the eye and you've got to be able to adjust. You've got to be ready to adjust. You've got to be ready to, to face this thing head on. Because our babies can't fight for themselves. That's what we are for. And so you have to, I mean, <laughs> you have to dig and way in the back in the booth in the dark and the dust and the corner underneath the crevice in the attic and the basement. You got to dig, baby. You got to dig deep. You got to dig deep and you got to push. You got to push past the pain. I know. <laughs> I know. It's just like, God, I don't I can't take no more. I can't deal with no more. I don't I don't want to go to another doctor. I don't want to have to make this decision. I'm listen, y'all. I'm right there. Every time they ask me, are you ready to sign the paperwork? To start the process of either self-directed services or residential, I burst into tears. I understand. I understand fear, fear of the unknown, not a fear of receiving good things. You know, we're afraid of our greatness. We're afraid that we're going to succeed. And why? This is what we want, right? We want the the the. The, the nice house with the white picket fence, the two-car garage or whatever. But how you think you're going to get it? It's not just going to fall into your lap. God is not a genie in a bottle. It's not just going to drop down from heaven. They, they, everybody says reach up. And, and, and they tell you in church to reach up by faith and grab what you need from God. Okay, you can do that. But uh, it's not just going to show up in your hand after you reach up there. You can have faith all day. The Bible says faith without works is dead. That means you got to move. You have to do your part. God does his part. We definitely have to do ours. He's not just going to be like, okay, you know, let me just go ahead. We won't learn anything. We won't learn anything if we always have somebody just giving us everything we want at our beck and call. They have a word for that. You don't want to do that. And, and and you know how much pride you have in yourself when you accomplish something that you really worked hard for, that you put your blood, sweat and tears, that you stayed up late at night for and saw the successes and the failures and raised this concept up from a baby. And it can't and it comes to full fruition. It's, there's no greater feeling than people acknowledging your accomplishments and you acknowledging. But more importantly, when God acknowledges and he's pleased and he's pleased the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord deliver us from them all listen to that statement many are meaning it's gonna happen 
That means you're going to afflictions mean things that are unpleasant, that are, that we don't like, we don't want. And then it says, but which cancels out all of that that I just said, the Lord delivereth them from them all. That means that it's a promise. It's a guarantee. It's going to happen. We have to learn. There are some things that my son has taught me that I would have never learned on the streets or read in a textbook or watched on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, live me and the rest of them. I would not have I would not have learned those things. My son has taught me faith. He has taught me perseverance. He's taught me how to be content and be and be thankful and joyful in the state that you're in. I, in his mind, he's in his mind. He knows what he's capable of doing and what he doesn't. It's not weird to him. His 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 special needs or disability or differently able, whatever term you want to use, is his norm. It's his norm when he can't do a thing. He lets me know by making a face or something like that, that is too hard. And he's content at just the thought of hearing his mommy say, yeah, you did it. You did a great job just because he tried. Just because he tried to do something that was difficult, just because he tried to to um, please me by doing something that he doesn't normally do. He likes the praise and the ad- ad- accolades and being rewarded for doing something that seems impossible for him to do and we're the same way we want to be rewarded we want to be acknowledged we want to we want to be praised and all of those kinds of things that there's nothing wrong with that within the normal confines of humanity and life but in order to get the success you got to go through the process everybody's process is different I don't know what it's like to have a child that's hooked up to a bunch of tubes and can't say anything and all that kind of stuff. The only experience I had of that was when Jeremiah was an infant and he could not do anything even then. And he was hooked up to tubes. I know how I felt then. I can't, you know, and so I can only take that experience and put myself in that mind space when I meet a parent whose child can't even say ah. And they're just lit breathing and the machine is just going and the bells are just going. They may make a face, they may not. We have to find common ground with each other as we minister to each other and build each other and lift each other up. Just because I, my son don't have tubes, I remember a time when he was. And I could say, listen, mom, listen, dad. I don't know what that's like today because he because he went through that back then. But what I can tell you is that even when I went through it back then, God kept me and brought me through it and gave me the strength to face another day. I don't know what it's like to bury a child. My own child. I don't know what that's like. I know what it's like to see, but I do know what it was like and how I felt when it was resuscitating my child and he was dead by all intents and purposes. I can't I can't I can't speak on what it's like to plan a funeral for your child and things like that. All I can say to the parent is, hey, I, I can't I can't speak on that. But I can tell you how devastated I felt when my child had to be brought back to life. And so we this is what I mean. We got to find the co- commonality in each other in order to bring each other through. We are all we got. We ain't got we ain't, what else we got we're here we only have each other 
And so I believe outside of being being a believer. I believe that it's just morally right that we do not let others suffer when we have what they need to survive. If you're in the grocery store and I see you putting up stuff and you need a dollar, I'm not going to sit there and say, can you hurry up and get out of the line? Just put the stuff back because I got something to do. I'll pull out the dollar and say, look, here's the dollar. I believe that that's what we were supposed to do. If I see a special needs mom struggling, trying to get her kid in the bathroom to change her, I'm going to hold the door. Because I know what it's like every time I come through the door, people, some people let the door slam on us and go, oh, my bad, I ain't see you. You literally walk past me with a wheelchair. Seriously? I know what that's like. I know what that's like to to see to to sit on the other side of the table and cry your eyes out because they're telling you that your child can't do this, 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 and that more than they're telling you what he can do. They're telling you more of what he can't do versus what he can. I know what it's like to see the mama struggling. She got one quote unquote normal kid and one special needs kid and she trying to, you know, divide her time between the both and make them feel equally as important and wanted. When the other child that has special needs needs way more attention and way more services than the other child. I know what it feels like to, to have your family pretty much disown you to a degree. And I'm going to say that word or, or should I say, OK, I won't say that. I will say um, uh, being separated or segregated against. It's like, you, you know, you're left out. I know what it's like to be left out and have to look at pictures of my family members at theme parks and cookouts and parties and not even get so much as a consideration of an invite. I know. And so this is what I mean. We're, we're supposed to to. We're supposed to be the olive branch to someone else. Even when we're hurting, I have ministered to more people in my pain than I have when I wasn't in pain. I have ministered to more people when I was suffering from caregiver burnout than when I felt that all was well in the world. I have reached more people by telling people that I was suicidal and how I got through it than when <laughs> when I thought I didn't have anything to talk about. I have ministered to more people writing my books than I did when I remained silent because I was angry at God. So that tells me that there's something on the inside of me that you need. And there's something on the inside of you that I need. Or there's something in my atmosphere or in my space that you need. Or there's something in your space and in your atmosphere that I need. And it is our jobs to give it willingly. Not with an attitude. Because life is inconveniencing enough. We know that. <laughs> there's nothing convenient about life. What's convenient about getting up every day, doing some of the same things and activities, maybe enjoying a few of, you know, um, extracurricular activities outside of work school, church, uh, routine, you know, medical exams and procedures, medicines and all of that, growing old, getting sick, ending up in the hospital, needing surgery, and eventually dying. That life is inconvenient. 
to somebody in some way. We are not, earth is not a catering service. We are not caterers per se. We, we, we don't have the capacity to, to, to cure quote unquote everyone's ills, but we do have the capacity to teach each other strategies so that we can be free from the things that attempt to depress us, to oppress us, to cause us mental instability, to cause us mental issues, to cause us physical sicknesses. We do have everything that we need to prevent all of those things. And I believe as a human being and as a woman, it is our job to be transparent. It is our job to say, no, baby, don't do that. I don't care if they want to hear it or not, because what, you know, some of the greatest lessons that I, that have been told to me came back to me at a time when I thought I had forgotten about them. I can hear the voices in my head of my 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 um my grandmothers and my mother and stuff like that and and some and, and my other relatives who have gone on who used to give me advice and say look this is what you do baby no don't do that if you if this ever happens to you run if that happens to you don't fall for it you're better than that and so even in church, when they used to tell us to go to church, like, man, I ain't going to church. I don't know what they want me to go to church for. What I need church for? I don't need church. I know what I'm doing with my life. Oh, do you? And we don't. We base the decisions that we make. We base decisions on fear, on necessity, insecurity. And um, in an attempt to to pursue happiness and in any of those areas, this is all of our decisions we've made are based on those four things. Am I safe? You know, is this is this going to bring me pleasure? Is this going to make my life easier? Is this going to bring me financial success? Is this going to be secure for my future all of these things we make our decisions based on that and and if fear is involved in any of those and i'm not talking about nervousness because we all get nervous when we're doing a new thing i mean just straight up fear that prevents you from doing what you know you you are capable of doing you know fear is paralyzing i know I can't tell y'all how many times I was like a freeze frame because I was like oh my god what terrified when I wrote my first my second book terrified because of the subject matter that I had to talk about I was very careful and colorful with my words because I'm not into bashing people but I am into telling the truth and being transparent I mean afraid I wasn't even going to release the book I was just going to scratch it and be like nah let me just go ahead and just stick to my um my blog, which was called Breaking Free, and I talked in depth about caregiver burnout and all, you know, going through the, the mental ter- turmoil. I was being I was being tormented by fear and depression. I didn't I didn't I, I didn't see my way out. 
And I wasn't sure if I wanted to get out. I just felt like, okay, if I talk to God enough and ask him, just like that man in the Bible, to just let just let me die and go to heaven and get it over with, then then I'm good. Guess what? We don't know what happens when we die. <laughs> for real, for real. We don't know that. We don't know what's going to happen to our family members once we're gone. We don't know what it's like to take our last breath. Ain't nobody came back and told us you get some sort of angelic entourage and you know, you get the VIP lounge if you're going to heaven or, you you know, you get the smoking lounge if you're going to hell and all that. Ain't nobody came back and told us none of that. We don't know what death is like and we don't know if death is better. We just know that this body has given up the ghost. It's given up the spirit. And so, you know, they say that, you know, you rather deal with, uh, you know, with what you know than what you don't. I don't know what it's like to go over there wherever over there is I don't know what it's like and so if you make any decision out of fear you've already made the wrong one and so I would you know I would seriously consider having a mentor someone that you can talk to who is of sound mind and sound judgment I ain't talking about Pookie and Boo Boo and them who still trying to live like they're 16 years old in their 40s and 50s. I'm talking about somebody who has good wisdom and good sound judgment who can give you some little nuggets to help you get to where you need to be because we all going to die. One thing's for certain, two things for sure. We're going to pay taxes and we're going to die. And those are two things that are non-negotiable. And so... While we're here, I believe in my heart that it is our job to impact others and show them a better way of living, especially within our special needs communities, because we're already discriminated against. We're already bullied, mocked, teased, laughed at, misunderstood. And it just it's disheartening that people don't seek to understand because it's not them. And that is the most selfish thing that bothers me. How can you be that cold? How can you be that uncaring? Do you not know that you're going to age one day? And by definition, if you're wearing depends and all of those kinds of things, and you need a walker, a wheelchair, a cane, a crutch, or something like that, you're considered disabled or handicapped they are not they don't mean the same thing they don't mean the same thing disabled is more permanent whereas a handicap is temporary so just because we can't see your your issues outwardly don't mean you don't have them and I don't understand why is it that we compartmentalize when and how to help others who are not in the same situation as we are Instead of seeking to understand, we all know what it's like to be hungry. We all know what it's like not to have money. We all know what it's like to be sick. We all know what it's like to be well. We know what it's like to be to have a job. We all know what it's like to be unemployed. All of us know what it's like to to be less than in some area, to have a deficit in some area. Nobody in this earth is perfect on this side of heaven. 
And so the ignorance that I experience even now that Jeremiah 21 boggles the mind, especially when it comes from, as they call it, the household of faith. When it comes from the church, when it comes from people who have been hired to provide the services for our special needs loved ones. And they're just as ignorant as the day is long. What do you have a job for working with special needs population if you have no bedside manner? You have no real care, compassion or concern. You just might see possible dollar signs and go, okay, I'm just going to go do my job and go home. And you're not even doing that because here's the thing. Anything you do that you don't love and enjoy doing, you are doing a disservice to yourself and you're doing a disservice to the people that are that you are in charge of. You are you are definitely not giving 100 percent if you're not all in. I don't care what you say. If you're not all in and emerge eventually your marriage is going to crumble because you're going to start doing things that are not conducive for someone who is married if you're not all in as an educator as as a physician or um, as a special needs caregiver you're going to do a half-assed job you just are because you don't because you you don't you don't have the care and concern and compassion that you need. Now, I'm not talking about feeling burnt out because you are um, doing what you love to do because it, it does drain you. It, it, it's heavy. It's heavy. Life is heavy. No matter what we're doing from the teachers to the custodians, it's heavy because no matter what profession you in, no matter who you're taking care of or responsible for, you have to make decisions that you don't want to make. You have to do things that you don't want to do. You have to implement rules and laws and regulations that you don't want to. You have to be the not. Sometimes you could be the Mr. Nice guy and sometimes you got to lay down the law. And so it's that balance. It's that scale. It's the scales. It's the weight of the scales. One minute, you know, you one minute I, I'm changing diapers and things like that or whatever. And the next minute I, I have to, you know, I have to nurse a whole a whole wound or something like that. One minute I'm happy and, and my son is happy and we're doing great and things are going well. The next minute he had to have spinal fusion surgery, have his whole back cut up from the back of his neck all the way down to his buttock. So when life comes at you fast like that and you have to face major decisions, this is why you need to have a, you, you need, you need to be of a sound mind because fear said, don't let them cut on him. You know, don't let them cut on him. He'll outgrow it. And I was hoping that in his brain, that part of the brain that controls his motor functions would respond and go, hey, we're trying to grow, so don't stop him from growing. We're messing up the spine. Let let it go and let him grow. He wouldn't have had to, he would not have had to have the surgery. But because that did not happen, I looked up one day and my son was almost a C shape. He was almost curved totally over to his left side. And when they laid him on the table to do the x-ray, I'm like, oh, my God, he looks like a curve. 
You know how you, you drive a fast car, you go around a winding curve. That's how my son's spine looked. He had scoliosis. They had to. Now, granted, y'all, I, I prayed. I prayed. I fasted. I anointed him with oil. I did all of the things that y'all tell us to do in church. I did all of those things. I sought the Lord and everything. But guess what God's answer was? Let them do the surgery. So this is what I'm saying. We are not... <laughs> We are not going to get everything our way as we imagined. But what we will get is so much greater than what we imagine. And it's for our good. It may not be good to us and it may not feel good. And it's not. When we was kids, we would just pop out of bed and we, you know, we were full of energy, full of vigor. Now that we're older and stuff, getting out of bed. Stuff starting to crack and creak and stretch and pop. It don't feel as good no more. We feel good after we get out of bed, but our muscles and stuff got to wake up and all of that. So it is as you continue to care for humanity and care for your fellow man and care for your for your family members and loved ones who are differently able. There are stages. There are stages. There are stages. There are stages and it seems like when we get to the hard part, I know it seems like the hard part lasts longer than the good parts, but I promise you that once you go through the hard parts, the hard parts turn into the good parts because you learn, you grow, you evolve, you change. God changes you while you're in the midst of these these uncertain times and circumstances. God changes you, but you have to allow him to change you. Like I say, he's not a genie in the bottle. You're not just going to rub him and, and rub the genie lamp and he's just going to pop out like kazoo on the Flintstones and go bippity boppity boop. You know, like some fairy with a wand. No, Mm-mm. step by step, moment by moment. He gives you the strength and the wherewithal to overcome. And when you do, don't you dare act like you ain't never been there. Don't you dare turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to your brother and your sister and your fellow um, neighbor and all of that kind of thing. Like you ain't never dealt with nothing. Don't be don't be spiritually bougie. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Don't be spiritually bougie and act like you ain't never been there. You got it all together. Because let me tell you, you can act like that if you want to. And the same way you got it. Say it with me is the same way you can lose it. (laughs) Be appreciative of what God has done for you. Be appreciative of the tears you've had to shed. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron, because let me tell you all something last year. I'm going to share this with y'all. Last year was, I'm going to say this for lack of a better word, because I can't think of nothing else, was the worst year of my entire life. Now, you would think that I would have said that about having a disabled child, going through a divorce, being abused, being sexually assaulted, being bullied in high school and all those kinds of things. That that didn't even scratch the surface of last year. Now, while I did not lose relatives to COVID, I my grandmother, I lost my grandmother and my sister two weeks apart. 
my grandmother passed away at the end of almost at the end of January. The morning of her burial, because we did not bury her the same day. My grandmother passed away January the 19th. February the 7th, we were on our way to the cemetery. I wake up to a text from my sister's father saying that my 29-year-old sister, who had a 15-month-old daughter at the time, had passed away. Right. Now, God prepared me for my grandmother's passing. We had been taking turns, you know, the the kids, you know, some of the kids and the grandkids had been taking turns caring for her. We knew it was coming. So there was no surprises there. We just had hoped that, you know, her golden moments would have rolled on a little while longer. My grandmother lived a long, prosperous life. She was in her mid 80s, almost into her 90s. My sister was a baby to me in my eyes. This is a child who, when my mother was pregnant with her, I was such a doting sister. I took this little girl everywhere with me. It was like she was my daughter. When you saw me, you saw her. And I was in high school when my mother had her. You couldn't tell me nothing. I was the best big sister slash mother you have ever seen. My sister, my sister stayed with me in my bedroom. I got up in the middle of the night to make bottles in high school, changing diapers in high school, doing hair and and laundry and picking out outfits and planning Christmases and birthdays for her in high school. I was maternal way before I had my children. I told my brother how to tie his shoes and take a shower and all of that because I realized my mother was burnt out with autism and all of that kind of stuff. She was burnt out with all that she was going through. I raised this little girl from a baby and to have to see her laying in a box at 29 with her 15 month old daughter running around the church, not even realizing that's her mother in the box. Y'all, I can't tell y'all how angry I was at God and I was angry at her I was like oh my god why did you just fight why did you just fight she had a lot of health issues she was diagnosed with rectal cancer and had to have everything down there removed because it was it was the cancer had had ate it up and even though the doctor had gave her a different prognosis that was before the pneumonia set in and, and some other things. So it it wasn't directly the cancer that took her life. It was the it was the it was the 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 pneumonia and the other things, the sepsis and all that kind of stuff that took her out of here. Can you imagine losing I, I, for those of y'all who've lost family members of close proximity? My God, my God, my God, my heart goes out to you. I understand how, how y'all, how I made it through the burial of my grandmother knowing full well I had to turn around and do this exact same thing again. I can't tell you how I got through that because I didn't. God carried me through that. There was no way. There was no way. There was no words that was going to console me. I don't even understand (laughs) y'all how. How? I don't. I don't. 
And I don't, and even now, I mean, I know that they're gone and things like that. And I'm okay. I'm okay with my grandmother being gone. Like I said, she was almost in her 90s. But my sister, it burns my heart, y'all. It stings my soul, even now. And so I had to seek counseling because how do you double grieve? I can't think about my grandmother without thinking about my sister. I can't think about my sister without thinking about my grandmother. I have not grieved separately, if you will, because it was in such close proximity. And I don't think it was two weeks. It might have been 18 days, but y'all get the point. I can't. I'm at the point now where I can talk to people about it without breaking down and crying and things like that. But the smallest things that remind me of them trigger me to tears. I could talk about my grandmother all day long and the smallest thing like the smell of her perfume or, or, or something like that will trigger me to tears. I can look at her obituary and look at her sweater and her Bibles that I have and I'm perfectly fine. I can't look at one picture of my sister without without bawling without just having a whole (sighs) ambush of grief if this is what this feels like to lose a child my heart goes out to to people i don't care how you lost lost your loved ones or your children my heart goes out to y'all My mother passed away back in 2008. And so (laughs) I can't imagine y'all if my mother was still alive and she had to bury her youngest child. What that would have done to her after she had did all the work to overcome drug addiction and all of those things that she had to deal with prior to her demise. I can't imagine I had to somehow muster up enough strength after planning one whole complete funeral for my grandmother to having to write another obituary and all those kinds of things for my sister. I was not as hands on with her funeral because for obvious reasons, (laughs) her father um, and stepmother did an excellent job at doing all of those things. But to walk in that funeral home, y'all. After I had just walked in a funeral home not even a month ago to see her laying there lifeless, looking like the beautiful doll baby she was, y'all. I I can't tell y'all what happened to me spiritually, what happened to me emotionally and mentally. Am I okay? No. Not about that. No. I'm going through my grief process, but I'm going through it in a healthy way. And I thank God for it. The Bible the God told us in his word that blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Ain't that crazy? How, you know, even in, in mourning, God promised to show up for us and comfort us. Excuse me. He promised to wrap his loving arms around us and comfort us. So that tells me that we 
that we're going to shed some tears and we're going to hurt. It don't matter why the, it doesn't matter the reason why you're mourning. You mourn the loss of a job. You mourn the loss of a marriage. You mourn the loss of a, a of a lost business. Your house burning down. Any of those things, uh, uh, you know, a car being repossessed. Any of those things that you consider a loss, you mourn it. And so that sent me almost back to the place that I worked so hard to get out of. It almost took me back to that place of depression, the oppression. It almost took me back to the place where I just wanted to keep my blinds closed, not come out of my room, take a shower, cook no dinner and all of that. And let me tell y'all what happened. I was cleaning and I was going through their things that I had kept and I was putting the stuff away in my closet and this I had a red notebook that I've had since I was in hair school. That's how old this notebook is. And I had wrote a poem called Jeremiah the Jackrabbit. The book falls out of the closet and the paper falls out with Jeremiah the Jackrabbit on it. It was a poem, y'all. I turned that poem into my first children's book. It is about a special needs jackrabbit with cerebral palsy in a wheelchair who does something so remarkable with the animals in the forest that will change their lives forever. Y'all, when I tell you that the timing was perfect for it, I could hear my sister in my head because we talked about this book before her passing. And she was like, that's so cute. You know, we, you know, I can't wait to read it. And she passed away before it was published. And so I was determined more than ever to do what God has called me to do. After you experience something like that and death is so close to you, everybody around you may be getting sick and going through illnesses and diseases. It, it triggers you or it should. It should light a fire under you to to do what to do the thing that burns within you to do. I didn't think I was going to write any more books or do anything after that. I didn't. I, I To me, my life was over. I was like, I can't double grieve this. I, I can't go through this, God. I, I just can't. How am I supposed to talk about grandma and talk about my sister or talk about my sister and talk about my grandma? I, I, I don't know what to say to people. But here I am talking about it. I don't know how people pretend like they're not hurting and things like that and, 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 and just go on and keep stuffing. Stuffing only works for a limited time, y'all. Stuffing will kill you. If you don't address it, stuffing will cause you to be crazy. And I mean, cuckoo crazy. And so all of these, these feelings and emotions that I had, I had to, I had to do something with them before they did something to me. I had to do something with it before it did something with me. And I chose to fight. I published the book. The children's book has gotten such great reception and everything. People love it. They love the cute little jackrabbit. Who would have thought a poem would turn into a book, would turn into a podcast, 
you know, which lead, you know, led to two shows and, and interviews and and TV appearances over a disabled jackrabbit. I have the only dis I have the only children's book about a disabled forest animal with cerebral palsy. I am proud of I am proud of the person that I have become as a result of my child's disability. I did not always feel like that, y'all. And you're not always going to feel like that. Keep pushing. It hurts, yes. My niece is almost three years old. Only way she going to know who her mother is is if I tell her and show her pictures because she don't remember. We got to move on. We got to live on. And for no other reason for her. Because at the end of the day, everything dies with you. If you die, everything in you dies with you. Even if somebody discovers whatever it is you left behind, it is not the same because the originator was you. And it is the originator that holds all the power, that holds the anointing, that holds that holds the strength and the impact. You are impact. You are strength. You are power. You are love. You are grace. You are beauty. You are life. And so I need... I need everyone who is under the sound of my voice to understand that you can make it. You can make it out of every situation that comes your way, even if you don't like the outcome. Long as you come out, you don't have to like the outcome. Long as you come out, be brave and be bold. There's so much that we have to offer each other in this world. So much that we have to offer each other. So much love, so much joy, so many resources, so many ideas and inventions. Use what you have for the greater good. Use your story your life, your testimony for the greater good. I need to hear your testimony. I need you to come. I need you to, you know, to email me and tell me, thank you for sharing your story because I went through da, 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 da. That encourages me to keep pushing, knowing that someone is listening and someone cares and someone is paying attention. We all thrive for love and acceptance and validation. We all do. It's just how you go about doing it. I can I can I can honestly tell you guys that I hated I absolutely hated my life from the time I, puberty set in until maybe hmm, 5 years ago or so. I went through hell y'all. After my mother died, I took in my brother and my sister for five years, went through hell, taking care of them with with no fathers, with no fathers uh, 
resources and input, no father's financial assistance, none of that. All of them had some, you know, all of them had a, a issue or a disability. Little old me taking care of four, my two and my two siblings. Five years. Having my brother uh, be left in a hospital by a person who signed a contract to be his caregiver and then reneged after she figured she wasn't going to get the money that she wanted. Left him in the hospital for three months until PG County decided to put him in residential placement because I couldn't take him in anymore. I was overwhelmed. I couldn't deal, y'all. I started bleeding profusely. I almost had to have surgery to stop the bleeding. They didn't know where the bleeding was coming from. I almost had to have a hysterectomy. I've gone through the fire, y'all. I've gone through so many things. I don't even know how much time you got. I know what it's like to go through adverse circumstances. I know what it's like. Having to struggle. To feel like you have to rob Peter to pay Paul. Feeling like you have to have to bend the truth over here and lie over there and all of that kind of stuff just to save face keeping up appearances while all the while you screaming and crying on the inside and when nobody is looking i see you i feel you the lord sees you he feels you all of these things that I shared with you guys led me to this point right here where I'm speaking to you on a radio show that is airing all across the world. What if I had given up back then after that man sexually assaulted me? What if I had given up when I was in high school and I was being bullied and teased because I was the tallest girl with the biggest feet with a lazy eye with telescopic glasses. What if I had given up after I was after, you know, after all of those things, after the, after I was abused in marriage or and, and, and rejected in relationships just because I had a special needs child? What if I had given up after losing job after job after job because my son needed a surgery or a therapy? And, and I had no one to do that for him so that I could work. What if I had given up? How do I handle special needs child wouldn't exist? Handicapped mom lessons I learned through cerebral palsy wouldn't exist. Jeremiah the Jackrabbit wouldn't exist. Fifty Shades of Pink, A Healing Journey to Self-Love wouldn't exist. The Power of God, Daily Devotional for Women too wouldn't exist. Having a Moment with Moni wouldn't exist. This radio show would not exist. This ability LLC wouldn't exist. Yes, y'all, I have a I have a business. This ability LLC that God gave me after the passing of my grandmother and my sister. He he gave it. I had it already. I I tucked it away with Jeremiah the Jackrabbit. I had made the business model, wrote the vision and mission statement, and then just threw it in the book and left it for six, seven years. And he brought it back to my remembrance after my sister passed. And I released the book and the business simultaneously. The goal and the mission and vision of this ability is to provide educational and spiritual supports and resources for families and caregivers who have special needs, family members 
to get the help and the services that I was denied, that I was clearly, clearly qualified for. The, the, this ability is a ministry. I go, I go, well, we don't go too many places because of COVID, but uh, through Zoom and social media, I minister I minister, I'm in ministry, I minister to the hurting, the lost, the bruised. Whether you have a disability or not, I pray. And so this is what all this is for. This is why I'm here. I want to encourage your heart to dig deep within yourself. Get your life back. Get yourself back. Disability is not a death sentence. It's a life sentence. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to my very first episode on Rebel Radio. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this podcast, this radio broadcast. I pray that something that I said minister to the hearts of your people, Lord. Comfort those who are hurting. Heal those who are wounded and bruised. And bring about change and love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. I love you guys. Tune in next time for having a moment with Monique.